Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. From this point on and, and beyond, Paul continues to remind them that, again, he had used Apollos and, and Cephas and himself as kind of the focal point of where these divisions were. Again, he didn't name any of the people in Corinth. He wasn't casting, he wasn't pointing any personal blame on, on the current situation at this point in time. He simply wanted them to learn to walk humbly before each other. And that's the call that you and I have as believers today. In today's message, Pastor David explores Paul's teaching about divisions in the Corinthian church and how it applies to us today. Christians have always gathered as the church for one purpose, to serve and bring glory to Jesus Christ people in the Corinthian church had created cliques centered around their favorite teacher, which led to arguments about who to follow. Paul reminded them and us today that we are united in our pursuit of Jesus, not divided by our preferences or traditions. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Dealing with Pride. I know that uh, there are people within our community that have perhaps come from different parts of the country here in the United States. Uh, speaking to to uh, David and Kim today, it was Oklahoma, right? Yeah, came here from Oklahoma. Some of you come from such uh, strange places as Minnesota, places uh, far distant lands like Iowa and different different areas that you come. There's actually people within our fellowship that have come to us from different countries, whether that be Mexico or Canada. Canada is a big one that we get. Well, uh, my family grew up in the South, and uh, we most of our family is still back in the South. I've got uh, cousins. I've got some first cousins that I haven't even met yet because of the size of our family. Our family, uh, as I grew up as a child, pretty much we grew up in Phoenix, moved here when I was about five years old, so grew up in Phoenix, so that's why I don't have the southern drawl, but our family did speak a particular language as I grew up, particularly growing up with four boys within the family. The language that we spoke most often was sarcasm. The language of sarcasm. It's pretty easy to do when you're four boys that are kind of ornery and you know have no problem with picking on one one another. Sarcasm is defined as a sharp and often satirical or ironic utterance designed to cut or give pain. Now that fits exactly the language that we spoke to each other. Another definition of it is a mode of satirical wit depending for depending for its effect on bitter caustic 
or often ironic language that is usually directed against an individual. Sarcasm. When, when, you, when you think of this whole idea of sarcasm and you think of the Apostle Paul, you don't really equate the two. You think, Paul, no, I mean, here's a very intelligent man, uh, schooled under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was moving along, man, uh, high above all of his peers, really and truly as intelligent, well-versed as he was. Why in the world would Paul use sarcasm? And yet we're going to see this evening as we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, then we're going to see that uh, Paul actually has a time of some very clear use of that style of writing as he strives to make his point to the church at Corinth. Now, Paul had already brought to their attention several issues, uh, several problems that that church has had. And if you've been with us in our study of 1 Corinthians, you've seen many of those things that we've spoken about. We, we find he continues to drive these things home, and we are here in chapter 4. We are picking up where we left off last week in verse 6. He writes there in verse 6, Now these things, brethren... I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what's written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Again, Paul here, he's reminding them that so far in this letter, He's, he's spoken about these cliques. He's spoken about this situation of you know, different ones waging against, but he's not brought up the names of any of the Corinthians. He said, no, some of you, are, you say you're of Paul. Some of you say you're of Apollos. Some of you of Cephas, which is Peter, and some of you are Christ. So again, he's, he's not really zeroed in on any individuals. He's referred to these other men. Just a few short va- verses back from where we're at right here, uh, he had listed himself and Apollos simply as ministers of God's grace. One planted, the other one watered, and yet it was always God that gave the increase for him. Paul reminded him that he and Apollos, they were simply fellow workmen together. Not one above the other, although we know that the Apostle Paul was given that title, given that description, the Apostle Paul. Apollos was a good teacher. We don't see that he had the, the title or the position as an apostle. But Paul says, hey, we're just fellow workmen. And he speaks also of the church both being a, a field as well as a building. He starts using these mixed metaphors there up in verses 9 through 15 of chapter 3. He says that they, as, as, as the church there in Corinth, you guys are God's field. One of us planted, the other watered. He also says, you guys are the building of God. We're building together, and there's a foundation that's been laid, and that foundation was Jesus Christ himself. And so we're not going to build on any other foundation. The church cannot be built on any other foundation. Now, there's a lot of organizations that are built on a lot of foundations, but the church has to be built on that one single foundation, on Christ himself. And Paul warns, man, we've got to stay on that one foundation. And he also further spoke about the fact that whatever we build on that foundation has to be the right kind of stuff. And remember, we spoke about that. The right kind of stuff becomes that gold, silver, and precious stone. The wrong kind of things, wrong doctrine, wrong ideas, wrong philosophies of ministry, wrong doctrine, all of these things become wood, hay, and stubble. Can we build a big organization 
with a lot of events, a lot of happening things, a lot of interest, a lot of pomp and circumstance, dog and pony shows, I call them. Can we build a big audience with that kind of thing? Absolutely. But it's not really building the church. It's not really building, again, on the, the apostles' doctrine and on prayer and on fellowship and study of the word. Those are the things that really and truly build the church. That's the gold, silver, and precious stone. All these other things, if we try to build the church on these things, oh, we can get a lot of people in the door but it doesn't really build the church. And I don't have any problem really against concerts. I have no problem with events. I love some of the events that are going on in this fellowship right now, the next-gen group that's meeting, the, the primetime group that's meeting, the, the, the dating time as we're getting ready for the marriage retreat this fall. There's a lot of exciting things that are going on within the church. But you know what? Our church can't be built on those things. Our church has to be built on that solid foundation. Paul warns, hey, you know, if you build it on any other thing, it's just going to be wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn. Down in verses 18 through 23 in chapter 3. Anyway, there he, he calls for the church to really walk in humility with each other. And he wants them to understand this, this is not about man. It's not about a personality. It's not about one man being higher than another man, more, more giftings, more personality, any of those things. It's not about a man. It's all about Jesus. And then when he gets down to chapter four, we touched on that a little bit last week at the end of the service, at the beginning of chapter four, Paul speaks uh, again with that true humility himself, describing himself, describing himself, describing Apollos and, and the others, just simply as, as mere servants stewards of the mysteries of God. And he's trying to help them to see that although he had a good reason to be, he wasn't puffed up. He didn't come to them all, all prideful and say, hey man, you know, I'm, this is me, the apostle Paul, and I've started this ministry and I've done this ministry and I've traveled here and I've traveled there and I've led this many people to the Lord and all these kinds of things. But you know what? You hear that today. I hate it when I hear that. I hate it when the first time somebody introduces themselves, you know, it's kind of like they give their whole resume of what they've done and where they've been and all the things. Uh, You know what? It's not about people. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, man, we're just mere servants. We're just stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul says, man, there's no charges that are going to come up against me. God's my judge. And it's God that's going to bring all the things that need to be brought to light, bring them to light. Now we're down here in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, down in verse 6. And again, from this point on and, and beyond, Paul continues to remind them that, again, he had used Apollos and, and Cephas and himself as kind of the focal point of where these divisions were. Again, he didn't name any of the people in Corinth. He wasn't casting, he wasn't pointing any personal blame on on the current situation at this point in time. He simply wanted them to learn to walk humbly before each other. And that's the call that you and I have as believers today. Depending upon how long you've been in this fellowship, you may know a lot of names. You may know the positions of, of different people in different situations. We have different guys that are elders within this fellowship. We have uh, three different pastors here. But you know what? Every one of us, man, we're, we're just men like anybody else. We struggle with some of the same struggles everyone else struggles with. But it's just simply the calling. It's the place that God has us serving. It's not about men. It's about 
our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to keep that in mind as leadership, but you've got to keep that in mind too as the church. And just as he's continually pointing the Corinthians, man, don't start following after man and building up these little cliques and those little cliques causing divisions within the body and you're not able to work together and you're, you're puffing up one another over another. A little bit later in 1 Corinthians, it says, man, you guys are bringing each other lawsuits against, you're going to, to the courts against each other. That's not the way that you ought to be. He really wants them to understand for the church in Corinth, and yeah, for you and I today. The humility and the love that we need to be continually working together in. And again, the main focus is Christ himself. He says that none of you would be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. And as part of that warning here, he gives these three rhetorical questions in verse 7. And the reason they're rhetorical is because Paul didn't expect the Corinthians to give him an answer. Every once in a while, your pastor, while he's preaching, gives rhetorical questions. The reason they're rhetorical is because I don't expect an answer, but every once in a while, I get a big answer. Now, if I say, hey, I want your answer on this, that's one thing, but it's another thing to figure out, well, I know the answer to that. So, but uh, he says in this rhetorical way, he, he's asking these questions in a way to cause them to think, to, to think about the silliness or the, or the sinfulness of their situation. What does he say there in verse 7? He says, for who makes you different than another? That's an interesting question to throw out. Who makes you different than anybody else? Well, I, I went to Bible school for two years. Uh, well, I studied under so-and-so for five years. Well, I served in this ministry for six years. You know what? What makes you different than anybody else? We come together, again, for one purpose, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he asks, what, what do you have that you didn't receive? In other words... Every good and perfect gift, what, comes from the Father of lights. He, he gives to us. What we have, we receive from the Lord. It's not from ourselves. It's not from our gaining. and Everything that we strive for is probably not worth that much in the whole scheme of things. What do you have that you didn't receive? He's asking them that question to cause them to start thinking. Because you see, in Corinth, they, they were so puffed up because of who they were, where they were, what they had, what they didn't have, and really categorizing themselves. I love that within our fellowship, we are all over the board. Educationally, ethnicity-wise, age-wise, Education-wise, experience-wise, and Christian maturity-wise. We've got folks within our fellowship that could probably come up and give this message as good, if not better, than I am. We've got folks in our fellowship that have absolutely no financial worries at all. And we've got some that have no money worries because they don't have any money, so what's to worry about? Okay? <laughs> so we go the full gamut here. And if we were to ever get to that point where we're dividing up, well, over here's where the rich kids sit, over here's where the educated kids sit, and over, over there's where the cool kids sit. Uh, again, we, we start dividing up, but that's not how we're meant to be. That's not how we're called to be. 
The body of Christ is so diverse, and I love that. I love what we've got in our fellowship. I love what God is doing here. And Paul is telling the Corinthian church, yeah, there might have been a lot of just difference within the fellowship, but they started making these clicks according to it. He says the the third thing, still getting back to verse 7. He says, now, if you didn't indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you've not received it? In other words, Again, that boasting that I've done this myself, I was able to do this and I was able to do that or I've received this. Paul wanted, to, wanted them to see for themselves that they weren't different from each other, at least not in any kind of significant way, only different giftings and, and different callings. And again, that gifting and that calling, where does that come from? It comes from the Lord. And woe be unto you if your calling isn't from the Lord and you're in a place of service or ministry and that calling is of man and not of the Lord. There there was nothing that they had. Paul was trying to help them to understand. There was nothing that they had, but that God had either given it to them directly or he had allowed it to come into their lives. And since whatever calling or gift that they had was given to them by God, how in the world can you boast about that? It's just as silly as boasting about your height. Is there anything that you did to get that tall? Nothing at all. That's just the way the Lord made you. And in the same way with the giftings and the callings of God within our lives. It's nothing that we can boast about ourselves. It's what God is doing and working in our life. Now, as Paul moves in to this literary device known as sarcasm, which he's about to move into, he describes the church and and these statements really and truly, they, they're, they're borderline ridiculous when you think about them. They're, they're the, these factions, these cliques, they've, they've caused them to move outside of this willingness to listen to instruction, to listen to correction. So Paul uses sarcasm to get their attention. It's kind of like an ad I read recently looking for new employees. Looking for individuals who realize they don't know it all yet but are willing to learn. Individuals who understand that the experience and expertise of others is a valuable asset to acquire through humble submission to those who are already in charge. Looking for those who are willing to work in the trenches before they profess themselves fully capable of running the business. See, there's a lot of people today that, man, wouldn't be able to make that hiring list. There's too many people, again, coming in with, with the idea, man, I could be in charge of this. I could do this. I know it all. Well, Paul understands that the church in Corinth doesn't know it all, even though they're acting that way. Paul, and see if you can hear the sarcasm in his words here in verse 8. He says, are you already full? Are you already rich? Why, you've reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. It's like he was saying, I I came to assist you in your walk in Christ, but apparently you've already arrived. I came to minister and to disciple and to encourage you in your walk in Christ, but oh man, you guys, you don't need me anymore. You're right there with Jesus. You know, you're, you're right there with it all. You don't need my help. And again, that's some of the major issues that were going on in Corinth, and yet they weren't willing to admit it. And so here, Paul cuts right to the bone. Verse 9, 
He says, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, because we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you, you're wise in Christ. We as the apostles, we're weak. Oh, but you, church of Corinth, you, you guys are strong. You're distinguished, but we are dishonored. Do you catch how he's saying and what he's saying there? It's like, you guys think you're such hot stuff. Well, you must be. You must be God's gift, you know, to, to mankind. All we are are the apostles. All we are are the ones who've gone and traveled the world serving the Lord and gone through all the stuff that we've gone. Oh, but you guys have fully and completely arrived. You'd think that this would be a wake-up call to the church. Uh, Paul had been in the trenches for years at this point. He had suffered greatly through those years, and not only to bring the gospel to places like Corinth, but to be able to stay long enough to invest his life into the people's lives there and to be able to uh, stand through all of the attacks of that society, that community, wherever he would be, whether it be Corinth or Athens or uh, Philippi or Thessalonica, any of those or Ephesus, the attacks of the, the community around, and yet he was willing to stay there and pour himself into the lives of these people. Now, it would seem that the very ones that... Uh, that he had poured his life into, they're now stating they they no longer need or or do they even want the apostles' input. Wouldn't you have liked to have heard that report that came to Paul? The one that kind of initiated this letter. Uh, Whether it was a letter or whether it was a a personal report that somebody came in and said, Paul, (laughs) hey, look, I, I know you started the church in Corinth. I know you spent a lot of time there, brother, but let me tell you what's going on right now. You know, so-and-so, he's over here, and they're doing this over there, and that's going on. And so-and-so brought so-and-so to court the other day. They're trying to sue him because of this and this and all these things. And uh, we'll get into all the other, again, wickedness, literally, that was going on in Corinth. The sexual sin that was going on in, in chapter 5, chapter 6 is where they're, they're suing one another. Hey, we start getting into chapter 13 and 14, how their, their worship services were absolutely chaotic. I don't know, but I, but I think that Paul was kind of like blown away at that point in time. He had poured so much into that ministry, and now it just seemed like they had so much going for him, and yet they're kind of just imploding from the inside out, just destroying themselves. So when that personal report comes, again, that's why Paul's speaking the way that he's speaking. Now, Paul wrote several letters to to several different churches. That's what we see within the New Testament. Some of those letters we we don't have, but we know that there were other letters that were written just because they're referred to within the New Testament. But in these other letters, Paul's writing wasn't in that sarcastic kind of format that he uses here in Corinth. Uh, at least not as much as he's sharing here. So after stating this, this rather obvious uh, uh, sarcastic statements, Paul moves on to a very personal way to kind of share with the church not only his past situation, but his current situation. And as you read this, it's really easy to have sympathy for Paul in, in the midst of all of this. You need to understand, though, that he's not saying these things to gain sympathy. He's not saying these things in pride or in bragging or any kind of an ego trip. 
Yet, if anybody had anything to brag about, it'd be Paul. He's just stating the facts. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.